You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Yes, a divided community has come together. 3CR in Melbourne, the Community Radio Network, the Radiophon tore us apart, the 3CR Radiophon. The rest of Australia heard a pre-recorded program here in Melbourne town. We attempted to raise money to keep Radical Radio on air. Now, if by some chance you missed either program, one is podcast. It's not the radio font, it's the other one. So you can access that by going to 3cr.org.au. And don't forget, if you'd like to keep 3CR on air, which is the radio station which uh, broadcast the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network, you can always ring 039 419 And hopefully during the program I'll get an update of how much uh, money has come in. I have now. I have now. I have an update of how much money has come in. And unfortunately, I think we are about eight hundred dollars short. Currently, the we has come in is ten thousand six hundred and sixty-nine dollars and twenty cents for the three CR radio phone. Now, if you, as I said before, if you wish to see programs like the Anarchist World this week, continue be broadcast on Community Radio 3CR and you wish all community radio stations around the country to continue functioning. If you're listening to this program via Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, if you ring 9419 you will be able to claim a legal legitimate tax deduction till the end of the year. So ring up right now. See, what people don't understand about community radio stations is that um, they rely on their listeners, they rely on their programmers, they rely mainly on volunteers. And community radio is, an all, is another media. It's another media because it allows ideas which you normally never hear anywhere else to be articulated. And that, I think, is an exceptionally important uh, thing in life, the fact that you can, it's not about surfing through the net, 
It's about broadcasting. That's what community radio is about. It's about broadcasting. Broadcasting to a huge range of people. Now, I don't know who's listening to the Anarchist World this week today. I never will. But it's amazing how many people you meet who listen to community radio, particular shows, uh, particular uh, concepts that they're interested in, and they find them on community radio. So if you think community radio is dead, it's not it continues to function. So if you want to support your local community radio station, give them a buzz. If you haven't got any money, maybe they require volunteers, maybe they require some help with maintenance, who knows what they need, but uh, keep them functioning. If it's good enough to listen to, it's good enough to support. So if you are in Melbourne and you listen to community radio, 3CR 94198377. Now, Interesting, fascinating week. Well, every week is fascinating when you've reached three score and ten because you've uh, exceeded your biblical, biblical, you like that? Biblical. Must be a childhood problem I've got here about talking about the Bible. Biblical number. So, you know, you're kind of racing around trying to dodge those lightning bolts from the gods because you're escaped the three score and ten. All right. So what's anarchy? Very simple, anarchism, anarchos, without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives the Putins and the Bidens of the world the ability to determine the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So anarchism is a struggle to devolve power, that's share power, through possibly direct democratic means and holding wealth in common and using for the common good. Very simple concepts, concepts that we've struggled with since the beginning of time, whether it's a hunter-gatherer society, whether it's a more sedentary society, whether it's an urbanised community or a mega-urban community. It's the same concept. It's the struggle against inequalities in power and wealth. Now, a lot of people think that anarchists think that human beings are wonderful things that can never make mistakes and we rely on the pureness and the good heart of human beings. It's exactly opposite. Now, we're stupid enough as communities and as sovereign nation states, as individuals, to think that if we give one individual or a small group unlimited power, that they will act on our behalf. It doesn't work that way. Anarchism understands the original sin of humanity. It understands the stain of history. Anarchism understands that every human being is capable, if put in the right situation, of committing the most atrocious acts. And when you see interviews of people who've committed atrocious crimes you know, for their state, for their nationality, for their ethnic group. You understand that they're like you and me. There's no difference. The fact is they find themselves in particular situations where they have to make choices. And most people make the choice of survival. And sometimes in order to survive, if you live in an authoritarian regime, you have to do things that you would prefer not to do. So anarchism understands 
the individual potential for destruction. And what we say is that the best way to contain that destructive urge in the individual is to have community structures which ensure that individuals don't are not able to exercise power over others. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to destroy hierarchy. It's the struggle to devolve share power. It's the struggle to hold wealth in common. It's a struggle which is diametrically opposed to every other struggle we see on the planet, where sovereign nation states attempt to dominate power, where we see individuals and corporations centralise wealth and use that wealth to extend their sphere of influence. So if you have been involved or are involved in the struggle to share power and hold wealth in common, you're an anarchist. I'm sorry to tell you, you won't have horns, you won't grow a tail, you're just one of those extraordinary human beings out there who is willing to buck the trend, who does not believe that putting your faith in a ruler or a sovereign nation state will somehow change the trajectory of the world. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. That's right, I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. Unscrambling scrambled eggs. Now, it's extraordinary how things change. I mean, the 19th century was the century of revolt and revolution. The early 20th century was a, you know, was a period of revolt and revolution. And what happened during that period is that the state fundamentally changed from an instrument of total oppression to an instrument which was forced to take into account some of the needs of the population a sovereign nation state is responsible for. Because it was that push and shove which pushed the nation state into taking on activities that would have been unimaginable years ago. Unimaginable. Things like the public ownership of essential services. Things like the creation of public housing, things like the provision of social security benefits to the population. I mean, the, traditionally, the nation-state's role, its sole role, was to ensure to maintain the power of those who exercise power and nothing else. That doesn't mean the sovereign nation-state has changed fundamentally, but what is, it does mean is that it has been forced to change its trajectory in order to continue to function. And that's because of struggle. It's very simple. So what we've seen over the last 40 years is 
a total change in perspective. And that perspective is that the state providing services to the population is an economic drag. That the best way to provide services to the population is to privatise, is to put in private hands those public assets which have been built up by generations through the blood, sweat and tears of generations. That what happens is that these assets have been transferred to private hands, whether it's Putin's Russia, where you've got an oligarchy, a capitalist oligarchy, which controls the economic future and the future of the over 100 million people, or whether it's Australia, where what we've seen is the wholesale privatisation of public assets. And the current energy crisis and the crisis we had regarding vaccinations are directly related to the privatisation of assets which should be in public hands, directly related. Now, if you listen to one of the idiots who tries to explain the current energy market, you begin to understand the convoluted logic surrounding privatisation, where you've got private corporations and private individuals who own essential services like energy production, energy distribution, energy retailing. You've got this multitude of private organisations. Then on top of that, you've got these government regulatory authorities who are attempting to keep in check organisations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. So you've got this constant tension. And when push comes to shove, as we've seen with the so-called energy crisis over the last few weeks, the corporations and individuals who own these privatised organisations always put the interests of the organisation before the interests of the country as a whole. And to a significant degree, this, the hole we find ourselves in as far as the climate emergency is concerned is directly attributable to the privatisation of energy production. Because once energy production and distribution was privatised, the ability of the government to make rapid changes in order to address the climate emergency was lost. So that's the last 10 years of so-called debate about whether we should or should not as a nation and as individuals and as people address the climate emergency was a total waste of time because of that privatisation factor. Now we see the same issue in almost every aspect of our existence. Pharmaceutical. In 1911, the Australian government, only 11 years old, formed the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory to provide vaccinations for the Australian people. In 1990, I think it was 1994, Mr Keating privatised the CSL for about $252 million. It's now worth billions of dollars. But let's not worry about the economic disaster. When COVID-19 struck, we had, didn't have the resources, the scientists, 
and the manufacturing capacity to actually provide vaccines. There was no Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. The federal government had to give CSL a billion dollars in order to ensure that it manufactured AstraZeneca. And AstraZeneca turned out not to be the vaccine of choice. So you can see how privatisation has a negative impact on people. Another thing to look at is most public assets that were owned uh, by the public not only provided a service and provided a mechanism where the population could determine policy as each election cycle came to an end, but more importantly, it provided a mechanism via which profits which were generated by that monopoly on that particular essential service would go back to Treasury. So what we've seen over the last 40 years, and Victoria is a classical example, is we've seen the sale of almost every public asset. Assets which provided money to the Treasury no longer provide money to the ter Treasury at the state and federal level, whether it's energy, whether it's ports, whether it's airports, whether it's the road traffic authority, workers' compensations, private public hospitals, and the list goes on and on. So what we see is that the taxation revenue that could be generated by owning essential services no longer exists. And that means government has to look at other forms of taxation which are directly impact on the individual, like the goods and services tax, in order to keep revenue up. So privatisation in every aspect has been a total disaster. But what do we see in the 21st century? What do we see in the 21st century? Almost every arm of government, every arm of the private sector, singing the praises of privatisation, although we continue to wreak the wreckage of privatisation, whether it's aged care and the disaster in aged care, whether it's the, the old Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, vaccinations, COVID-19, whether it's energy, and the list goes on and on, privatisation has become a central pillar of 21st century corporate capitalist society. And when people like you and me raise the issue of putting essential services back in public hands, we're considered to be some type of idiot, some type of moron, some type of person who's no intellectual capacity. It's quite extraordinary. And one of the most extraordinary situations I've seen over the last decade is the privatisation of the public housing sector in Victoria, where we have a so-called Labor government, which has privatised the ports, uh, Port of Melbourne, which has privatised the titles office, an essential service provided by the state, which has privatised part of the Road Traffic Authority, and which has sold 
hundreds, if not thousands, of parcels of publicly owned land across the country to the private sector or giving them away to build a little bit of social housing. And what we've seen is the denigration and destruction of the public hospital, public housing. But what's even more important is the normal people who would have actually struggled for public housing and put their hands up and said it was essential have now been incorporated into the very structure which exploits the situation. We have privately owned organisations, some for profit, some not for profit, managing and owning public assets and masquerading under the title of social housing, affordable housing, community housing. And when anybody, anybody uses the concept of public, they denigrate it. I'll give you an example. Four years ago, or three and a half years ago, uh, 10 days before the state election, we held a 10-day protest on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House and held up a five-metre banner 24 hours a day for that 10 days which said public housing, everybody's business. Everybody's business. Now, the state government felt the pressure of that particular campaign and it promised to build is the Victorian state government, and it promised to build 1,000 public housing units. Has it built 1,000 public housing units? No. It's gone full steam ahead with the privatisation of the public housing sector. And you will see the same problems occur. For example, everybody says, look at all the money we've put into homelessness. And there are homeless people on the streets. Because a lot of that money is sucked up by the homeless industry. There are all these industries that have sprung up that are privately owned, which theoretically provide services for the public on behalf of the government. Now, we forget, irrespective of public service waste, irrespective of public service wages, what we forget is that... Every dollar you give from a state treasury or the federal treasury to a private organisation to provide a public service, 40% goes into profits or administration. So if I, if I as a taxpayer give them a, a dollar, I'll get 60 cent return. I could go down to the local pokey venue and I'll get an 85% return. If I sit there all day, I'll lose all my money. But, I, I mean, the local gambling poker machine circuit is structured in such a way as it gives back an 85% return because if you didn't get a bit of a return, you know, people wouldn't gamble, all right? So it's worse than a poker machine. It's worse because every time you put a public serv service into the hands of the private sector, 40, 60, you get a 60% return. Extraordinary. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And the dilemma is, and the big dilemma is, is, very, is that, that has inequality increases and has insecurity increases, whether it's economic insecurity or personal insecurity, as anxiety increases, what we see 
is the classical example of people turning against each other. And what we've seen in this country over the last 40 years and around the world is the rise and rise of autocratic political movements. They no longer call themselves communist or socialist or capitalist. They're good old-fashioned autocrats. People who use the power of the state to reward their supporters and exploit the rest of society. And these autocratic movements, which we are seeing growing around the world today, are linked to the ability of rulers to actually pit people within the same geographical region, the same sovereign nation state, you know, against each other. So it's the dull bludger who's the problem one week. Next week, you know, it's the, in, the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander. Next week, it's the refugee. Next week, it's the migrant. Next week is the people who wear funny hats or things over their heads. Somehow, these superficial, relatively superficial differences is what continues to divide us and close our eyes to where inequality is stems from. Now inequality, whether it's in terms of power and wealth, stems from the centralisation of those power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands. Now if you look at every economic indicator, that's right, every economic indicator in this country over the last 40 years, we have seen the rich get richer the powerful become more powerful, irrespective of the number of government agencies, government regulations which have been put into place to ensure that we all have you know, a so-called fair go. The dilemma is we don't all start on the start, same starting line. Some people start 70% behind, some people start 70% ahead, you know? or 100% or 200% ahead. It's not an equal playing field. It will not be an equal playing field until we break down hierarchy. Now, these may be difficult concepts to grasp, but they're not difficult. They may be difficult to grasp, but they're relatively simple. If you've got a fixed number, finite number of resources, and a growing population then if these resources stick to the fingers of fewer and fewer of the population, then those that are left will get less. It's very simple. It doesn't take a PhD in mathematics to sort that out. It is a simple capitalist concept. Maximise profits at the expense of the population. The other thing I'm finding particularly nauseous is this reliance on the market, as if the market is some type of a living entity with a brain and a soul, a living, breathing entity, the market. This reliance on so-called market forces. 
There is no such thing as a market. You have a market which is created to ensure the survival and expansion of a small minority of society. That's what the marketplace is about. The legislation which passes through Parliament, the regulations which are put in place, always assist those who have power and wealth. No wonder if I invested a dollar in a project 60 years ago, 40 years ago, and that dollar made a profit, I would receive 33% of the profit and the workers who made that profit would receive 66%. Roll the clock forward 40 years and in 2022, if I invest a dollar and it makes a profit, I receive 66% of that profit and the workers doing the work receive 33% of the profits. Now, I'm not making these figures up. This is reality. It's a reality we're faced with. So, is capitalism the nemesis of democracy? Is democracy able to survive in a capitalist society, which is a society based on private investment for private profit? Well, it depends on the type of, cap, uh, type of democracy you talk about. If you're talking about representative democracy, which we have in this country, obviously it can survive in a capitalist society. It can be manipulated in such a way as to ensure that those people who find themselves in Parliament, the federal and state and local level, the legislative agenda they introduce into Parliament continues to support inequalities in our society. So if it's a representative democracy, obviously capitalism and democracy coexist because democracy becomes subservient to the need to create a profit. But if you live in a society where you have direct democracy, not representative democracy, where the people involved in the decision make that decision then elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, state, federal, international level, then capitalism is incompatible with that type of democracy because that type of democracy relies on the commonwealth being used for the common good. Now, it's all very well to see individuals and corporations in this company who've made extraordinary profits from exploiting this country's mineral resources, you know, playing the kind uncle and providing millions and tens of millions of dollars for charities and institutions which they support, just as long as they use their name, you will find that if these people who hadn't given, been given carte blanche to exploit these resources, then we wouldn't find ourselves in this situation. So is capitalism the nemesis of democracy? Yes and no. It's the nemesis of direct democracy, but not the nemesis of representative democracy. The thing about representative democracy is 
we see the same issues raised over and over again. And we see an inability of governments to tackle these issues. And the current federal government is a classic example of what happens when the capitalist class dominates the social and cultural agenda. Classical example, because it is not able to introduce legislation or unwilling to introduce legislation which will put their masters offside. And that's the problem with representative democracy. It's a democracy which is basically a puppet democracy because that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication pull the parliamentary strings. And while we fight amongst ourselves on the basis of ethnicity, the languages we speak, racial origin, colour of our skin, gender, sexual orientation, it'll continue ad nauseum. A house divided is a house that is easily controlled. So think about it. But change, I wouldn't be here. I've, I've been broadcasting now for over 40 years. I wouldn't be here if I did not think that change was possible. Change is always possible. History, or her story, is a story of change. The radical, the revolutionary, is the person who throws a pebble into the community pool. And sometime that pebble sinks without trace, and other time that pebble creates waves, and those waves continue until they reach the end of that body of water. And that's what we're doing here on the Anarchist World this week. We are throwing pebbles, but not pebbles that sink without trace. Pebbles that have an impact on people's thinking, the way they think about society, the way they think about how society can be changed, the way they think about what the future holds for us and for our descendants, our friends, our workmates, the people around us. And that's the key, isn't it? What is the sovereign nation state there for? Is it there to protect a minority? Or is it there to look after the interests of everybody? Now, obviously, historically, as I said before, the state was created to protect the interests of the sovereign, the ruler. That's why it's a sovereign nation state, all right? A sovereign nation state. Revolution, reform, strikes, occupations, petitions led to the state taking on many activities that would normally not have taken on in order to survive. The greater the pressure, the greater the reforms. As they say, during a revolutionary period, reforms, you know, rain down. Rain down. The dilemma is we continue to make the same mistake. The mistake of thinking that an individual or a small group somehow are our saviours. They're not our saviour. Our saviour is ourselves. We are the people we've been waiting for. And unless we're willing to work together... 
towards a common goal, then change is impossible and impractical. Here's to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. It's about time, isn't it? I just, it's just been announced that the patent laws regarding COVID-19 vaccinations have been suspended. It's taken two years of pandemic, over five million deaths, hundreds of millions of people being dislocated and inconvenienced, and finally, the world's nation states have decided that the patent laws regarding vaccinations will be suspended for five years, just after there are enough vaccinations created for the, for the population as a whole. All right? Isn't it fascinating? It's taken that long to get rid of a patent law which has led to the deaths of millions of people. Extraordinary, isn't it? Just extraordinary. And now we congratulate ourselves that it's happened. All I can say is it's about time. There are certain things in life that should never be patent. And they're patent, I'll tell you why. They're patent because research is now dominated by private institutions. And every time you hear about a transnational a pharmaceutical corporation producing a new drug or producing a new vaccine. The fact is they will have a patent on that for 25 years. And many diseases like malaria, which could have been cured years ago, there is no, there's minimal research into that because it's not a profitable industry. Because if it's a privately owned pharmaceutical company, it's interested in making a profit out of what it does. So by closing down, to a significant degree, what publicly owned universities can and cannot do as far as research is concerned, and closing down research institutions like the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory and privatising them, what we've done is we've removed competition. Once again, we have removed competition. And the private sector becomes the dominant force as far as pharmaceutical um, changes occurs. So how do you resolve that issue? And you resolve that issue by reintroducing competition. And you reintroduce competition against the corporate sector by building a strong public sector, whether it's housing, and we've seen what happens in Australia when you privatise public housing. What happens is privately owned dwellings, the cost explodes. And as interest rates rise, people will feel the pressure and the economy, in inverted commas, will feel the same pressure. So it is a fascinating situation. There is no competition in the world. We are told there is competition but competition doesn't exist. Corporations cooperate. Competition doesn't exist. The only way to introduce competition in a sector which is dominated by corporate interests is to reintroduce, refinance, re-expand a significant public sector. 
So how are pharmaceutical corporations rewarded? They are given a patent, which means they've got an exclusive contract to create that drug at artificially increased prices for a fixed period of time, up to 25 years. So instead of, as we saw at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when the Chinese released very quickly the genotype of COVID-19 and made it available to everybody to research that particular bug, we find that in 2022 that the concept of us being totally reliant on privately owned companies has become fundamental to the type of society we have become. <sighs> Favourite hate. Well, I'm sick of people talking about the Albanese government, the Morrison government, the Andrews government. Look, I'm sorry. Irrespective of what you think about representative democracy, it is not the Albanese government. It is the federal government. It is not the Andrews government. It is the Victorian state government. To give a government the name of an individual who is the leader of the particular political party is extraordinary. It is just an extraordinary admission regarding the type of governments we have, where individuals have such extraordinary, supposedly such extraordinary power. So next time somebody talks about the Albanese government or the Andrews government or this government or that government, just tell them, get it right. It's the federal government. It's the state government. It's the government that you elected. Irrespective of whether it's representative or not, it's not their government. It's theoretically our government. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you're interested in many of the ideas that are in this program, a number of websites, public interest before corporate interest, you can join online, pipci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to Facebook pages, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business. Um, what else? Um, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public, and the list goes on and on. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to us, yes, I still answer letters, to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office 20, Parkville 3052. I was uh, fascinated to hear the Governor of the Reserve Bank crap on about the economy and the fact there's not going to be a recession and the fact that in, in interest rates will increase and inflation will increase and they'll do everything they can to bring inflation down. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, a bit of jawboning, a bit of reserve back bank jawboning, you know. You know, talk up the economy, talk up the economy. Now, I must be an idiot, and I think everybody listening to the anarchist world this week is possibly an idiot. Not all of you, but... Those of you who believe what I'm telling you, well, obviously you're idiots. Now, for a number of years now, we've been creating money out of nothing, right? Interest rates have been held at artificially low levels. 
sometimes below zero. And all this money has been pumped into privately owned financial institutions which then lend the money out to you to do your little thing. All right? That's if they're willing to lend it out to you. Okay? Now, this creates... Now, this is the scene in the 1920s. Not just the 2020s, but the 1920s, right? This creates inflation. As inflation rises, governments try to bring down... The central banks try to bring down inflation by increasing interest rates. As interest rates increase, you have austerity. It means you've got less money to spend. It's simple. It's a finite resource. We don't have money trees. They have money trees. It's a finite resource. So you get into this vicious cycle. And irrespective of what your Reserve Bank governor says or not, this is capitalism at its very best. You get this terrible cycle. Boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. Terrible cycle, which in many ways has nothing to do with the real economy. Because, see, we have an economy which is based on manufactured needs, not real needs. When people talk about a marketplace, they're talking about a marketplace based on manufactured needs, not the satisfaction of real human needs. When anarchists talk about a marketplace, they talk about a marketplace which is based on human needs, satisfying human needs. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Then we have the Reserve Bank Governor saying, oh, wages may grow too quickly. Well, look, I may be stupid, but I do know that wages growth has been half of the inflation rate. Simple. We know that. And we know that business profitability, especially for the corporate sector, has never been higher. And wages have never been lower. Now, theoretically, if we believe their economic mumbo-jumbo, if we read their scripture, their economic scripture, the capitalist scripture, which is the scripture which this society is based on, is not based on some religious text which has been created by somebody having an interaction with what they believe to be a god. What we have is an economic text which is based on the creation of ever-increasing inc- profits for an ever-shrinking minority. So if we look at their text... What should happen now is as inflation rises, wages should rise. That as unemployment drops, the labour market, in inverted commas, is able to flex its muscle and demand greater wages. Well, the reality is fundamentally different. There is no wage growth, although there is minimal unemployment in this country in June 2022. There is no wages growth and there is no wages growth for one very good reason and people are beginning to understand that very good reasons. Whether it's the teachers in New South Wales, whether it's the public transport workers in Great Britain, they're beginning to understand Wages increase when people collectively bargain. Three of government intervention. And what we've had in this country over the last 40 years is horrific government intervention which now makes striking 
outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period where you've got to jump through about 50 hoops and the Fair Work Commission can actually ban that strike after you've, you've jumped 50 hoops. The reality is that in 2022, collective bargaining is impossible. An individual worker can be fined $10,000 a day for being involved in an, uh, in an unauthorised strike. A member of the CFMMEU can be jailed for refusing to answer questions about a meeting they went to regarding their workplace. Striking is illegal. The ability of the trade union movement to fight for real wages growth, even wages growth to keep up with inflation, is no longer possible unless people are willing to break those laws en masse. It's collective bargaining, people joining together in unions, which has given them the ability to improve their condition. The enactment of legislation which has removed that ability is what keeps wages low. It's got nothing to do with market conditions or market forces. That's a load of garbage. It's about having the capacity to actually be able to freely associate and freely organise. Unfortunately, one lesson I learnt a number of years ago, is elections is all they care about. They don't care if we stand on the steps of Parliament House for weeks on end, for weeks on end. They don't care. They don't care if you march around the streets for weeks on end. They don't care if you get jailed, you know, for being involved in radical activities trying to improve people's lives. They don't care. I mean, they do, they do love it. Because, you know, playing up violence is part and parcel of the way the state maintains its control. But they do care about elections. I learnt that a long time ago. It took me a while, a bit slow. took me a while, but they do care about elections. Now, a lot of people listening to this program will say, what's the point? What's the point? Well, I'll tell you what the point is. We have a preferential system in this country at the state and federal level. What that means is, with a good campaign... You can change the agenda. You're not going to win the election, but you can change the agenda. You can create a little bit of havoc. You can throw pebbles in the pool. Not little pebbles, but boulders. If you throw a boulder in the pool, in their election pool, well then it has an impact on the community. So there is a state elections coming up, I think one in late November in Victoria. There's another one in, in uh, New South Wales early next year, I think March. There's another one in Queensland. We've just had a federal election. Unfortunately, what happens in elections, because of the domination of the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, is that people with different views don't get a run. But that doesn't matter anymore. We live in a different society. The media is not totally dominated through social media, certain aspects of social media, you can break out of that containment. So if there's an election coming up in your part of the world, 
and you've got a radical agenda, pro-anti-privatisation, anti-public-private uh, partnerships, pro-public health, pro-public housing, pro-public education, pro-community-public uh, development. Well, this is your chance. This is your chance to put those ideas into the mix. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, the first program in July, I will expand on that particular issue. Now, I'd just like to remind people of the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation. My late wife died five years ago. Uh, the foundation is was established to uh, protect her legacy and not only protect but extend. Uh, on the 2nd of July, between two at 2 p.m., at the uh, Bayside Gallery at the Old Brighton Town Hall, there will be the announcement of the Ellen Jose Art Award, which is a $15,000 award to uh, one of six finalists uh, who are part of that. So you're all invited. Come along. The more the merrier. Especially those of you who knew Ellen, come along and uh, pay your respects on the day. Now, 3CR Radio Fine. Now, look, I keep saying there are community radio stations around the world around the world, and in over 150 in Australia. Many are associated with the Community Radio Network, many aren't. If you are a listener to Community Radio, I encourage you to ring them up and offer your service as a volunteer. Uh, if you've got no money, it doesn't matter. You've actually got your labour. You can volunteer your labour. It's not just about volunteering your money to keep these community radio stations functioning. If you have been listening to the Anarchist World this week for the last four plus decades on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, it is our radio phone um, period. It'll end on the 30th of June. I encourage you to ring 9419 8377. 9419 8377. Make a donation to the 3CR radio phone, uh, courtesy of the Anarchist World this week. And if you pay income tax, it's a wonderful way of getting a legal, legitimate tax deduction. Do what the rich and famous do, legally minimise your tax. Remember what Kerry Packer told you, if you don't legally minimise your tax, you're a fool. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network across Australia, and once again, please support your local community radio station. They run on volunteers. If you've got no money and that's understandable, then volunteer your services. You'll learn something, they'll get something out of it, and you'll be part of something which is just bigger than yourself. So you don't have to throw rocks at your television screen. You don't have to pull out the uh, your uh, computer and uh, smash it on the ground because you've had enough. Just volunteer, become part of your local community radio station. Thank you once again to the Community Radio Network for broadcasting the Anarchist World this week across Australia. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.